Amen, choir. Take your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Welcome to day 2 or week 2 of our road trip series. Each week this summer, or at least for the next couple months, we're going to choose a famous destination. And we're going to use that city as a theme or jumping off point for the message. Now, you may have guessed, if you read your bulletin, today we're in Las Vegas. Some of you are wondering why I'm not in costume. I figured I didn't want to be one of them blue men. And I didn't figure I could pull off Wayne Newton or Elvis, so you just get me today. So, But uh, we're in Las Vegas. Las Vegas, the, the name is Spanish for the meadows. The name was given to the area because of the green grassy meadows that were there when they discovered it uh, way back in the 1800s. Evidently, in the middle of the desert, there was this area, uh, this green grass and all came up because of the water uh, from the Colorado River. But at any rate, it was established in 1905. Vegas became a city in 1911, and at the beginning or the end of the last century in 1999, or the end of 1999, it was the largest city in America that was founded during the 20th century. In other words, it was the largest city in America that was under 100 years old, and as the century turned, it was uh, at the beginning of this century, the 21st century, it was the fastest growing uh, metropolis in the United States with over a million and a half people. And I understand that slowed down probably some now. But they tell me, or I read, or I heard somehow or another in 1953, they, <coughs> excuse me, they had 800 hotel rooms and you could rent one for $3 and you could get the deluxe for seven fifty. Now, the last time I checked, there were over 120,000 rooms and with occupancy way into, way up in the percentages. And so, uh, it's really changed over the last few years. I've never been there, but what I understand is that when you go to Vegas, if you are in one of the casino hotels, that you have to go through the casino to get to the restaurant. You gotta go through the casino to get to the hotel. You pretty much gotta go through the gambling to get to where you need to go. Now, sometimes we think of Las Vegas, uh, or many of us think of it as Sin City because of the popularity of legalized gambling, the availability of alcoholic beverages any time, day or night, the various forms of adult entertainment, and even legalized, I don't know if you knew this, but they have legalized prostitution in some of the outlying counties. Now, this is, thank goodness you don't live in Nevada. Nevada law prohibits prostitution in counties which have large populations, but in counties that have small populations, it's okay. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's because the shortage of, of uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even want to go there. It, it just, it just doesn't make sense. Okay, but the local government, uh, the Chamber of Commerce, would never call it Sin City. They call it the entertainment capital of the world. And it, it's an entertainment giant. There's no question about it. It's known for its glitz and glamour. It's filled with all kinds of stars. I mean, in Vegas, you got stars that are up and coming, and then you got some that are down and going. I mean, if they're, if they're on the way up, they go to Vegas, and then when they get on the way down. In fact, I checked last night. You, you can, uh, in September, you can see Rod Stewart. You can see Celine Dion this month. You, you can see Donnie and Marie. This week, if you want to, I think they're sold out on Wednesday, but anyway, you can, you can see. And so, so it's this entertainment capital. And, uh, so it's kind of an interesting place. Now, uh, our stage is set up for VBS, but we got a little bit of a very small amount of glitz and glitter. So I guess it's, it's kind of close. 
But, but here's what's kind of interesting about Vegas. Now, some of you, Ben, you know a lot more about it than, than I do. But it's interesting that they have places like the Paris Las Vegas, which is a, a replica of Paris. They even, in this resort, they have, uh, they tell me they have a half-sized replica of the Eiffel Tower and this other thing called the, the Arc de, however you pronounce, Triomphe. Uh, but the building facades look like all the, I mean, it just looks like Paris. And then they got the place called the Venetian that looks like Venice. I mean, it's got the gondolas, it's got the rivers. And then they got places like New York, New York and Caesar's Palace and on and on. And, and the point, I guess, from all that is that Sin City goes to great lengths to make people feel comfortable. In fact, some of the stuff I've gathered is that they don't even have clocks. Now, that, as a pastor, that'd be nice. That'd be good to not have a clock. Now we have one, so we got to, we got to move along. But, but they don't have clocks. They, they tell me that you can, you can get anything 24-7. I remember my cousin went, uh, when I was young and he was just telling me, you know, his, it was just odd. There's never any last calls. And, and so it's just, it's, it's perfectly designed to separate men and women from their money. Now, here's what I find really interesting about places like New York, New York, uh, Paris, Las Vegas, the Venetian, and all of those. What they're really saying is don't go to New York or don't go to Paris or don't go to Venice. Come to Las Vegas and settle for an imitation of the real thing. And while you're here, we'll be happy to take some of your money and we'll be happy to rob you of your soul. Isn't that what the enemy does? Doesn't Satan offer us a an imitation of the real thing? He counterfeits. In fact, the Bible says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, right? Now, here's another interesting thing. I know I've used that term several times, but another interesting thing is they say that from space, Las Vegas is the most visible city in America because of the lights, bright lights, glitz, and glamour. That's what the enemy does. He masquerades as an angel of light because he wants to counterfeit for us. God's very best. Now you're thinking, what does that have to do with me? Well, there's a principle about Vegas that I want to get to, um, but it's even bigger than Vegas. But I want you to join me in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're just going to read one verse, and then um, I'm just going to kind of work my way down through the verse and, and uh, after we read it and pray about it, and then I'll share with you a principle that I, I think, in fact, I know that if we'll abide by that principle, it'll really help us with our life. Dear friends, verse 11, 1 Peter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Let's pray together. Father, I pray as we unpack this verse in the next few minutes that you would uh, help us to understand just the underlying principle uh Father, about just about sin and about how Satan wants us to buy the lie and settle 
for less than your best. I pray that you'd come and meet with us this morning. I ask you to speak into our hearts and speak into our lives. And when it's all said and done, we'll give you the honor and the glory for it all. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a place that's just completely different than you are. Maybe it was so fancy you thought, I don't belong here. Uh, I've been in a couple of hotels like that. I've played on a couple of golf courses when I realized, or I've been to a couple of golf courses where I realized, this, I don't belong here. In fact, uh, Elise and I hadn't been married long, and we were in New Orleans and during, for the Southern Baptist Convention, and we went down on Bourbon Street. We went down middle of the afternoon on Tuesday, and, and, and I realized, I don't belong here. You know, I'm a stranger here. Now, I've never been to Vegas, but I'm thinking if I went to Vegas, I know it's an entertaining place. I know there's some wonderful things to do. I'm not saying you shouldn't ever go to Vegas. I'm not even saying that I won't ever go to Vegas, but here's what I know. If I went to Vegas, I would feel like I don't belong here because I don't gamble. I don't drink. I don't and probably wouldn't participate in many of the forms of adult entertainment that are available in Vegas. I would just know I don't really belong here. Well, Peter, writing to the believers scattered abroad, listen to what he says. He says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. What he's saying is we don't really belong here. This is really not where we belong. The, the term, let me just kind of define these terms a little bit for you. The term aliens, uh, literally it means, and you're going to have to stay with me on this, but literally it means alongside the house. When I read that, I thought, what does that mean? Well, the word comes to denote any person who lives in a country not his own and is therefore a foreigner. Now, but listen to this statement. It says, the term fits Christians who do not belong to this world system, but we live alongside of people who do. And so we're aliens in this world. We should never, ever be totally comfortable here. Because this isn't our home. Now we live alongside of people that are comfortable here. But we should never be. And then there's another term, the term strangers. A synonym for aliens, but it refers to a visitor. The King James used the word pilgrim, but it, it refers to a visitor who travels through a country and perhaps makes a brief stay there. They come and they stay for a little while and they're moving on. As a follower of Jesus, as followers of Christ, we're going to stay here for a little while. But pretty soon, we're going to be moving on somewhere better, somewhere different. And so because that's true, get the context. He says, I urge you. In other words, I plead with you at because, because we don't belong here, because this is not where we're going to stay. Even though we live alongside of some people that feel comfortable here, Peter says, because you're not comfortable here, here's what I want to encourage you to do. He says, avoid sinful desires or abstain. The NIV uses the term abstain from sinful desires. And so while we're living here, the Bible tells us that we're to 
abstain or to avoid sinful desires which war against our soul. Now, let me just a couple thoughts and then I'm going to give you, in a minute I'm going to give you a principle. But but understand, this is pretty interesting because for a lot of us, there's this struggle. There's a struggle to deal with temptation. There's a struggle to deal with certain kind of sins. And I know it's different from you than it is from you. And it's different from you than it is for you. And if it's different from me than it is for you, it's different for everyone. But we all struggle with these different sinful desires. In fact, there's a, there's a wealth of them. We won't get into great detail, but Galatians, in Galatians 5, Paul gives us a, kind of a running list. It's not a, it's not an exhaustive list, but listen to some of the sins that Paul talks about, the desires of the sinful nature. He says sexual immorality. Now that would include, uh, pornography, lust, uh, all types of different sexual immorality, immorality outside the context of of marriage between a man and a woman. He says, but he goes on to say, not just uh, sexual immorality, but impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Now we think, most of us think, well, you know, I don't do any of those. But listen to this. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage or, or anger. Or how about this one? Selfish ambition, wanting our own thing, kind of a deal, dissensions, factions, envy or covetousness, wanting what somebody else has, drunkenness, orgies, and any, and any kind of says, and the like. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, those who live like that aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. And so my point being is, is Peter's saying to us, because we're strangers and aliens, because we really don't belong here, because we don't really live in sin city, we're to abstain from or to avoid sinful desires. And there, there was kind of a laundry list. Now that's not an exhaustive list, but what it's saying is as believers in Christ, we're to avoid sin. We're to stay away from it. Uh, and, and avoid it literally at all costs. Now, here's what's interesting. When Peter says to avoid it, in our culture, a lot of us, a lot of times we treat sin not as a choice, but as a sickness or as a disease. And yet, Peter says, you can avoid it. In fact, he says you should avoid it. He says we must avoid it. And so we're to avoid sin. And then he makes this statement, which wars against, which wars against your soul. Now, that's an interesting term because it's, um, it's, it's not a one-time thing. Uh, the term to wage war or, uh, or to war against is from a military uh, or expression, and it means a long-term military campaign, not just antagonism, but a relentless, malicious aggression. And since it takes place in the soul, it's a civil war. And so what Peter, the picture Peter's trying to paint for believers is when it comes to the world in which we live, and, and we use Las, we call Las Vegas Sin City, but the world in which we live is Sin City. I mean, you can go to San Antonio or San Marcos or Austin. You can go wherever you want to go and you can find sin. And he says, we're to avoid it at all costs 
Because it wars against your soul. There's this battle going on for your soul. And the battle is for you and me to succumb to temptation. It's for you and me to give in uh, and, and do the things that God doesn't want us to do. And that God hasn't designed us to do. Now, the, um, one of the slogans from Las Vegas a couple years ago was, what happens in Vegas, what? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? That's what they want us to believe. Uh, Toby Keith had a song, country song a few years ago, what happens in Mexico stays in Mexico. We would, we would like to believe that what consenting adults do in the privacy of their own room or their own life doesn't matter. What I do in Vegas or what I do there doesn't affect here. But the reality is, the reality is, whatever happens in Vegas follows you home. Now, it might get here after you do. Now, it might get here before you do. You need to be careful. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, it'll it get home before you do. But the Bible tells us in Numbers 32, I think it's verse 23, it says, be, be sure your sin's going to find you out. I mean, sooner or later, we think we can get away with this or we think we can get away with this. Sooner or later, it's going to find us out. And so don't buy into the idea that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's going to follow you home. And so, and because that's true, let me just share with you this principle. And this is what I want to, uh, this is what I want you to leave with today. Don't gamble with sin because it'll mess up your life. Don't gamble with sin, any sin. It will mess up your life. Now, we shouldn't even gamble with desire. Now, desire is not always bad, but when we fulfill a desire in a sinful way, it's always bad. And if you gamble with sin, sooner or later, it's going to come home and roost. If you gamble with sin, it is one day, the day's going to come when it follows you home or the day's going to come when it follows me home. Now, too often we buy into the idea, well, you know, it doesn't really cost anything to look. Or it doesn't really matter where I get my appetite as long as I get my needs met at home. And we come up with all these little uh, sayings to try to justify our sinfulness. Or, or you might say, well, I know I shouldn't, you know, maybe you're married or you're married and, and you have an opportunity to have lunch with someone of the opposite sex and you say, you know, I know I shouldn't, but it's just lunch and besides she understands me or, or besides he, he really listens. And, and so we dabble into things or, or, or maybe it's some kind of uh, other activity. We say, well, you know, it's not going to hurt just to have one drink or it's not going to hurt just to do this one thing. And li- listen, Nobody ever gets up in the morning and says, today I'm going to mess up my marriage and go having an affair. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, tonight I'm going to go out and I'm going to get involved in something and I'm going to become a drug addict. Nobody ever says, well, I'm going to, this is the day that I'm going to choose to mess up my life. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever intends to do that. It's just... We tend to gamble a little bit. We tend to get over to the edge and we just think, well, it's not going to hurt. I'm just on the edge. I've not fallen off. But sooner or later, if you dabble with sin, doesn't matter what it is. It can be gossip, jealousy, anger, immorality, 
uh, alcohol, whatever it is, doesn't matter. If you gamble with it long enough, eventually you're going to lose. Here's the interesting thing about Vegas. You know why they walk you through the casino before you can check into your room or before you can get to the hotel or before you can get to the show? Because they want you to gamble. They want you to try it. And they want you to enjoy it. In fact, they want you to win for a little while. Because if you win, you're going to keep coming back. You know why they do that? Because they understand that sooner or later, the house always wins. The percentages, it's just the way it is. Sooner or later, the house is going to win. And that's what Satan wants to do to you and me. He wants us to dabble a little bit. And it's, hey, sin's fun for a while. It really is. At least some of it is. But sooner or later, it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. Don't gamble with sin. It'll mess up your life. Now you might be thinking, well, what happens to the, what about the person who's already dabbled? What about the person who's already gambled with sin? Well, what if the house, so to speak, is already won? Well, 1 John 2, 1 and verse 2, uh, if you'll turn over there, it's just to your right. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. Great truth in scripture says this. Says the, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but, but if anyone does sin, We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Even if the house has won in your life, there's grace, and there's mercy, and there's freedom at the cross. This morning, I've asked Ethan Jones to come and uh, share his uh, story with us. So, Ethan, if you'll come on. And tell, Malim, tell his story. Good morning. Uh, my name is Ethan Jones. I lived in Sin City uh, for 10 years of my life. Um, miraculously enough, I found salvation there. And I wanted to share with you just how that happened. As a young boy, um, I lived right here in Wimberley, Texas, actually. Um, I had a good life. My parents were, were good parents. I had good siblings. Um, God was present in our home. Um, but I didn't know about a relationship with Jesus Christ at that time. I was probably too young to know that I needed one. When I was about 15, 14 or 15, we lived in Houston at that time, I began using drugs. I began smoking pot and taking alcohol. No big deal. It wasn't a lot. Just recreationally, I was having fun, just a teenage kid having fun. I thought nothing of it. The problem is, by the time I was 20, I was a full-fledged drug addict. I was using cocaine, I was smoking crack, I was using crystal methamphetamine, drinking, smoking, doing anything I could get my hands on. That once talented athlete and good student 
was gone. My parents were very upset. They didn't know what to do. Um, I did not have Christ in my life. The drug use continued to escalate uh, to the point of I was one choice away from complete destruction. Death, homelessness. I had alienated my family and all those who cared for me and loved for me. Um, In the 70s, my oldest sister had moved to Las Vegas and had gotten into the mortgage business out there. Very good time to be in that business out there. Uh, My parents had semi-retired and moved out there. I stayed. um, I was in San Marcos at that time. I had barked on a musical career. uh, And I was using drugs constantly every day. I didn't know where to go, what to turn to, what to do. And I made one good choice finally. I cried out to God and I said, God, if you're there, tell me what to do. And I heard his voice and he said, go to Las Vegas. So I picked up the phone and I called my mother and she sent me a ticket to Sin City. My family thought they were crazy. You have a son who is a drug addict. He's struggling. Why in the world are you allowing him to go to Sin City? But you can never question God because God's hand was in it. I'd love to tell you right now that when I stepped off that plane, God met me right there and I've never done drugs again and everything was perfect. But I can't tell you that. When I got there, I became a functioning drug addict. I continued to use. But I held down a job now and, you know, I made it look on the outside that everything was okay. The problem was that Satan still had his claws in me. And I began gambling with my sin at that time. I became angry. I had fits of rage. I resented my life. I resented others. I resented what I saw other people have that I could never have because I had made all these choices in my life. And I was less of a person because of it. Satan tormented me that way for many, many years. So I continued using because that was the masquerade. That was what I was settling for. I was settling for the high. Satan kept reminding me that because I was a drug addict, because I was this horrible person, I could never have anything. I could never have salvation. I could never have the things that I wanted. And he would put those in front of me. Look what this person has. Look what that person has. Look what you will never have. Look what you will never be. So I turned to the drugs and the alcohol and continued using It was November of 1999. My oldest daughter had just turned four. I was at my sister's house for Thanksgiving. And my sister was older. She had children my age who in turn had children that were my children's age. My sister thought it would be cute for this Thanksgiving to have the children say the Thanksgiving blessing. So each child started, you know, God is great, God is good, you know, thank you for my food, whatever little prayers that the young children learn. And I knew that my child didn't know a prayer. We had never been to church. We had never even prayed over a meal. I didn't know what she would do. And sure enough, when it got to her, she was silent. And I felt bad for her. It was awkward, but I didn't really worry about it. She said nothing. 
my sister caught it pretty quick and closed the prayer and we went on about the meal. And that hit my wife pretty hard. She was like, our daughter does not know who God is. We need to get to church. And I said, there is no way I'm walking in the doors of any church. Ever. Period. I wasn't mad at God for anything. But I was angry. And I resented a lot. And I looked at organized religion as something terrible. I did not want to be involved with any group of self-righteous people who did whatever they did in church. I believed in God. That was good enough. I was a good person, right? I mean, I was fine. I didn't murder. I didn't kill people. I didn't do bad things. I didn't realize all these things that Pastor Mike just talked about, the fits of rage, the anger, coveting, idolatry, all those things I was just so guilty of. I didn't know it. Satan had taken my soul, and I didn't even know it. When you go to Las Vegas and you gamble and the house wins, you know when you're broke. When Satan takes your soul, most of the time you don't even know. And I didn't even know that I was broke. That Christmas, my sister gave us a VeggieTales video to my daughter because she knew that she didn't know who God was. And if I'm sure you all know who VeggieTales videos are, the little vegetables, and they tell Bible stories, and there's a little verse at the end. This is fantastic. I can teach my daughter through these videos who God is, and I don't have to go to those churches and deal with all that. Went a long while. Every time we go to Walmart, I pick up a new VeggieTales video. You know, we had David and Goliath, everything, all these great stories. And my wife was pestering me to go to church. And I kept refusing for the reasons I've stated. And she said, you know, our daughter does not know who God is. And I said, yeah, absolutely she knows who God is. So she goes, well, why don't you ask her who God is? And I said, Rebecca, do you know who God is? Oh, yes, Daddy, I know who God is. And my wife said, well, then who is he? And she said, he's a vegetable. We went to church that weekend. And I was kicking and screaming the whole way. I did not want to go. And, of course, I sat, you know, in the back row like this, you know, with my attitude on because I knew that I was not going to like it. And then I noticed there was an electric guitar up on the stage. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And what kind of music do they have in this church? And it's... They came out, and I remember they played Open the Eyes of My Heart, and I listened to that, and it spoke to me, and it prepared me enough to open my ears for what the pastor had to say when he walked out, because just by chance, you know, one of those coincidences, the pastor was starting a three-week series on anger and resentment and how to deal with your past. And it was like God had picked up the phone and said, Ethan is coming, you will preach on this because he's got to hear it. And that continued to happen. Every time I went, it was exactly what I needed to hear. And I began talking to God again. I began listening. And on April 3rd, 2001, I was on a plane to bury my mother who had just passed away. And I was talking to God on the plane. It was not a good time for me. And I was serious, finally, about about this, about what I had been learning and hearing. And I said, God, I wish there was just something I could do for you. All these times I've turned my back on you. Um, I, I want you to know I'm serious. Is there something I can do to seal the deal? Is there a 
contract we can sign. You know, all those Hollywood movies that, you know, you sign the contract. And, you know, I was like, it's something you and I can do. And he said, you need a savior, son. He's like, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your savior. And on that plane, on the way to bury my mother, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior. The next day I buried my mother, I returned to Las Vegas. On April 19th, 2001, I publicly confessed that Jesus Christ was my Savior and I was baptized in Sin City. Today, what does that mean for me? I still struggle with those demons. I stand before you today. I am still a drug addict. I still have to fight those demons. But I can tell you that it has been well over 10 years before I've put anything into my body. And I've been sober for over 10 years. I still fight my anger. I still fight my resentment. The difference is, is today I know who is causing it. And I know that there's a voice of truth out there that tells me a different story of what the truth is. And to me, the truth is, is justice, mercy, and grace. And there's a difference between those three. And I'll leave you with that. You know, as I'm now a lawyer, so, you know, I know all about justice. And justice is getting what you deserve. And as a lawyer, I fight for my clients and my company to get the justice, I, to get what they deserve. Mercy is when you get more than you deserve. But grace is a little different. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. And without Jesus Christ, I was only getting justice. I was only getting what I deserved. And I could always beg God for mercy to give me more than I deserved. But it was not until I accepted Christ until I received grace. And that gives me what I don't deserve because I'm paid for. And I don't know about everybody else here, but I know that I need grace. And that's what I'd like to leave with you today. Thank you. Well, I guess that brings us to the questions I need to ask each of us. Have you experienced that grace in your life? Has there been a time for you where you said, yes, I've received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I know and understand what God's grace is. And that's either yes or no. And another question is, are you at a season in your life where even as a believer, there's some things in your life that you struggled with, that you've dabbled with, and you need to experience God's grace in your life. And if that's true for you, then we want to give you an opportunity this morning to know and experience God's precious grace. Would you bow your heads with me? Let me just ask you, do you need to give your life to Christ this morning? Do you need to resurrender, rededicate your life to Christ this morning? If so, then we want to encourage you to do that. So, Father God, I pray in these moments as the choir sings and we do a, a time of invitation, Lord, I pray for those who need to make a decision for Christ. God, I would ask that you would speak to them and help them. And, Lord, if anyone needs to publicly surrender their life to Jesus and experience God's grace, Lord, we want to give them that opportunity. So have your will and your way in every person's heart. And we'll give you the honor and the glory now in Jesus' name. Amen.